here last night. Who uh, 
were lipstick, we had to be separate and different. We had to be holy, we didn't smoke or chew or go with girls who do, right? That's kind of the mantra where we came from. My object in those years, my objective was to be invisible. I was in a school where in my grade there were eight over 800 of us. It was early 1970s and uh, in our area of the country, for the first time I was starting to hear about gangs. And one of my best buddies, uh, fortunately for me, was the president of the local gang and uh, they beat up on anybody that caused problems for them and broke out windshields and did all this kind of stuff. But because we had been in kindergarten through eighth grade together, I was off limits to everybody. Whatever church did, it didn't matter. Just leave him alone. But I had attempted to be invisible. Suddenly, 1972 happened to me. How many of you were even alive in 1972? Do you remember 1972? Well, suddenly it was 1972. I was accepted to a prestigious college. I uh, was provided with a job making $3.16 an hour. And that was big stuff. Uh, I ordered my first new car. I didn't have to take a used car. I went to the book and I said, okay, I want this color, I want this, I want this, I want that, I want this engine. And I ordered it. And my father worked for General Motors. And I was headed off to college. I was making big money. I could do this. So suddenly, I wasn't invisible anymore. Down the street uh, were two beautiful young ladies that were a year older than I was. Stuff, and I was busy reading, 
And uh, I thought I could imitate Christ. And this was my translation of John chapter 2. My mother came and said, it's time to go home. <laughs>
if we were to say, what would the first century Christians understand when they read this letter from John? Well, first of all, it starts out with, on the third day, right? Bing, bing, bing. Anybody listening? Third day? New Testament Christians? What's recently happened with Christ coming back to life on the third day? This third day is going to mean something to them, right? Here, death has been defeated. Here, victory is available. Here, they have the ability to follow Christ in all of His power. That probably has something to do with passage. And then oh, at the end, we see that after the miracle the disciples believed on Jesus. Kind of a strange expression. Weren't they already disciples? Weren't they already following Jesus? Maybe our simple model of ABC, how you become a Christian, what you do, and all of that kind of stuff, isn't as simple as I thought it was when I was a child. <clears throat> Disciples believing on Jesus and, oh, well, maybe it's okay if as things happen in my life and I see God at work, maybe it's okay for me to believe again, to believe again for the first time, to to have more trust in my Savior, to see things in a new light and in a different way. Anyway, what else do we see in this passage? Oh, the wine was gone. That's problematic for Nazarene. <laughs> but it wasn't like, oh, surprisingly, the wine was gone. It was like, What a social embarrassment here as the wine runs out. I think some of us have opportunities in our life that those kind of things happen to us, right? Unexpectedly, the wine runs out. Unexpectedly, I don't have the money to pay my tuition. Unexpectedly, I don't have time to do all the things I need to do and my assignments, right? Unexpected that those kind of things happen. So, we could probably dig pretty deep in that part too, right? And then he says something strange. He says, woman, my hour has not yet come. Right? We, we could probably dig there and find some pretty good stuff as well. Um, but the, the best part of this is, as I understand it, and the way I read it, is the fact that after looking at what John would have been saying to the first century church and trying to understand all the implications of that and all of that, it still comes down to do whatever he says. Right? How many of you are prepared? To do whatever he says. Okay. So what does he say? Well, I'm 
this whole fire word, right? What is it that Scripture says about that? Well, here's a couple of things. In Acts 19, he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And in 1 Peter, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. It's pretty clear to me that God expects us to be holy, right? Hey, uh, are you going to do what he said? Are we prepared to do what he said? I'm convinced that the church of my generation has not done a very good job of explaining or teaching to ministers and pastors, much less those who are in the pews on Sunday morning, what it looks like to be holy. I think that we have failed to teach on Sunday morning and in Sunday school and in our various events, the difference between what it means to have truth from God and to honor our traditions. I think we have failed to adequately understand and explain what is the difference between the common and the holy. I, I travel across this nation uh, more than I want to admit that I travel. And I'm with our graduates. I'm with people in Nazarene churches. And what I don't hear that really disturbs me is what is holy. What does it mean to be holy? I think we teach our folks that, okay, some of us are called into full-time ministry and some of us are going to go off to Bible college and learn how to exegete scripture and, and write sermons and do all, all of those kind of things. And the rest of you all, you all ought to just come to church and you ought to be here when the doors are open and you ought to bring your money. And uh, when you come to church on Sunday morning and you worship, that is the holy part of your week. And that 98% of the stuff that you do when you're back out there teaching kids in kindergarten, and when you're working at, at, on the job, and you're dealing with that money, we call it filthy lucre, right? Whatever all of that stuff is, you can't possibly be holy while you're doing that. So come on, pay your bills, and then volunteer some ministry. You know, you got to be holy, so give some, give a tithe of your time at least to the church and do something holy. Do something that's meaningful, something that changes your world. I don't think that's what whole life looks like. I think that if we look at Ephesians 4, we'll see something a little bit different. Ephesians 4, 11. So Christ himself gave, what did he give? He gave it to you. 
apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, and he gave them for what purpose? To equip the people not to be good and come on Sunday morning, not to be able to fill the spot and, and, and take up the offering, and not to be able to sit on the board and do all, all that stuff is good. But he gave us to the church to equip them for acts of service. Equipping everyone he puts in your path to be reconciled to him and to become what he dreams they can be is what you are here for. Did you know that every person that's a Christian is called? I go around this nation and I see our graduates and they act like I'm the one that's called. I'm the one that's set aside for holy purpose. I'm the one that's... And they act like they have to do it all themselves. I think that's nonsense. Right? We're supposed to be reconciling the world to God and everything in it, and we should be going forth, learned from this place to equip people to do what God has called them to do. I'll tell you what, I, when I got called to God and I went to Bible college, every person at that Bible college that I understood what they expected of me was that when I graduated, I was going to quit my job at General Motors and I was going to go pastor the church full time. That's what they expected. I wasn't smart enough to know it at the time. <laughs> but I just knew that that's not what God was telling me to do. And I was just dumb enough to do what he told me to do. Other people looked at me and said, you're not, you're not as spiritual as you say you are. If you were spiritual, if you were listening to God, you would, you would quit that job and you would go pastor the church. Every one of us is called of God. Every one of us has a passion and a purpose and we're created by God to do something special. Some of you Maybe we'll wind up being doctors. Some of you will wind up being full-time preachers. Some of you will spend your hours and days being a mother. And what better special opportunity is there in the world than to have the vocation of, of, of directing a, a small life and bringing it to Christ and helping them become what God wants them to be. Others of you will figure out you're called to be an engineer. You're called to something else. All of us are called to minister. Every one of us is part of the body of Christ. Everyone is called to do whatever he tells you to do. Holification looks like a Christian community where all of us go forth not perfect, hear me, but holified, set apart, sanctified, purified.
fortified and equipped to make a difference in the world that where he has placed us. So, what I have to say to you tonight, qualification uh, looks like doing whatever he tells you to do. Are you prepared for that? Are you willing to do that? In spite of what others think you should do, and in spite of what you are expected to do, are you willing and able to just do whatever he tells you to do? Now, last night we talked about the fact that we can be set aside for the special purposes and that we need to continue to grow and to learn. And what I found is, uh, from that experience with my mother and the yardstick, that I may claim to be Christian, and I may have been forgiven of my sins, but that doesn't mean that my heart is fully devoted to whatever it is that he's asking me. So the question for you tonight, and the question for me tonight, is are we willing to put ourselves in a place where whatever he says to us, we will do? Sometimes we're not willing to do that because we think if we do what he tells us, I'm going to look foolish. I'm going to get up and I'm going to bumble around and we got professors in this room and I'm not going to be able to share the gospel and who am I to think that I'm a child of God who might be embarrassed, right? Sometimes we won't do it because we have designs on how much money we ought to accumulate or what kind of job we want or, 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 or. Some of us, sadly, will leave this place and be commissioned and ordained by the Church of the Nazarene, and we'll go into settings where we think it's our job to do all of the ministry. But that's not what he calls us to do. He calls us to equip people to become what he wants them to be, where he wants them to be, with skills to do what he asks them to do. Are you prepared to say yes to whatever it is he asks of you?